If you have a Bible, you can turn to the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 45. Genesis 45. So uh, we, we sort of hit the, um, the climax of the Joseph narrative last Sunday, if you remember that. Um, Joseph had been testing his brothers. You remember Joseph had been sold into slavery uh, by his brothers, and he um, was testing them, had not revealed who he was just yet. And here in chapter 45 at the beginning, he is overcome with emotion, and he reveals who he is to his brothers. And this is sort of the, the climax of the story. This is what we've been waiting for. And he reveals himself, and he is full of grace and he trusts in God's sovereignty, says over and over again that it was God who sent him, not them. Um, and it's a beautiful moment. And we may be tempted to just sort of say, all right, let's close it up. That's the end of uh, the Joseph narrative. And yet, that's just chapter 45, and there's 50 chapters, and we're going to continue in the story of Joseph for some time now. There's more to be said. Um, I was reading uh, The Lord of the Rings. I was reading the third book of the, the Lord of the Rings. And I got to the point, I hope I don't reveal anything that you don't know, um, where they, they destroy the ring. Uh, they make it to where they're going, to Mount Doom, and they destroy the ring. And I got there, and you know what? I put the book on my shelf, and I didn't finish it. Because I felt like, well, this is what I've been waiting for. It happened. And so now I don't know what to do, because I need to pick it back up. Mernie has chided me and told me I have to finish the book, because it's the, good, the rest is good. Um, and, and I think about that here. For, you know, for Israel, though, the, this story is not over. There's a lot that is going to come. And the events here at the end of Genesis that they set up as, as the children of Israel go to Egypt... This sets up some of the greatest pain and the greatest triumph for their nation. Um, and as they, no one really knows what's going on here yet, except for, for Israel. As they're, they're looking into the, Jacob is looking into the future and he doesn't understand, he can't predict everything that's, that's going to happen. But the, the people of Israel, as they receive the book of Genesis, are looking into the past and sort of wondering why did all this happen the way that it did and why did we end up in Egypt? I think it's one of the big questions that, that Genesis is trying to answer for the children of Israel as they are sitting on the outskirts of the land of promise, saying, why did we have to go all through this and through all of this anyways? And so Genesis is sort of answering that timeline uh, for them. And so we have some answers to these questions here. And I think we can sort of relate to, to Jacob, who is going to take a, another um, main part in this story, and also to Israel, that Jacob, who is looking forward at the future, doesn't necessarily know what is coming, but takes some steps of faith. And Israel, who is looking to the past and wondering, why did we have to go down this path, and sort of seeing God's hand in the, in the midst of it. So these questions of, of what is going to happen, and why did this all happen? Um, I, I think life can get confusing, and we don't necessarily know what's going on, or it can get frustrating, and we say, why did things happen the way that that they did. There's uncertainty, there's fear sometimes when we're looking to the future and we don't know what's going to happen. And there's, there's bitterness or there's regret as we look to the past and we wonder why did all of this happen. And so the thing I want us to focus on this morning that is from chapters 45 and 46 and probably encompassing a little bit of, of the whole story as it were, we're going to kind of take a big picture. This is our big idea. When we can't see the future, so Jacob, when we can't see the future, or when we question the past, Israel looking back, 
we can trust that God lovingly leads his children. So when we can't see the future and when we question the past, in both of those situations, we can trust that God lovingly leads his children. When we're confused about where we're going or confused about where we have been, we can trust God's heart, that he knows what he's doing. And so I want to read chapter 45. We'll begin in verse 16, and we'll go all the way through chapter 46, verse 30. That's a big passage. And so there in your um, sermon notes, I tried to put a small outline so you kind of get a feel of where we're going. And also note, in, in chapter 46, there's going to be a big genealogy from verses 8 through 27. If you were in Sunday school this morning... Uh, Joshua was talking about how genealogies are important. And so we get to look at one this morning. Um, it was interesting to see how that, that worked out. This is inspired. But I will summarize it. Um, and so we'll, we'll look at verses 8 through 27, but I won't try to pronounce all the names. I'll help you try to see what the author is trying to help us to understand from that genealogy. And as we're doing this, we're, we're continuing to look to the past. We're looking at Jacob's life. We're looking all the way back to Isaac and Abraham as well. And we're also looking to the future, thinking about where Israel is going to be um, both in Egypt as they're delivered from Egypt, and even now as many of them are reading this uh, on the outskirts of the promised land, getting ready to enter in, and try to get that, that big view of things in the midst of this specific story. Okay, So we're going high and getting a big view this morning. 45, verse 16. Follow with me. When the report was heard in Pharaoh's house, Joseph's brothers have, co have come. It pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, Do this. Load your beasts and go back to the land of Canaan and take your father and your households and come to me. And I will give you the best of the land of Egypt and you shall eat the fat of the land. And you, Joseph, are commanded to say, Do this. Take wagons from the land of Egypt for your little ones and for your wives and bring your father and come. Have no concern for your goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. The sons of Israel did so. And Joseph gave them wagons according to the command of Pharaoh and gave them provisions for the journey. To each and all of them he gave a change of clothes, but to Benjamin he gave 300 shekels of silver and five changes of clothes. To his father he sent as follows, 10 donkeys loaded with the good things of Egypt and 10 female donkeys loaded with grain, bread, and provision for his father on the journey. And then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. So they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, imagine this, they told him, Joseph is still alive. And he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb, for he did not believe them. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, which he had said to them, when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived and Israel said, it is enough. Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt. And I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba. The sons of Israel carried Jacob their father, their little ones and their wives, in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to carry him. 
They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters. All his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now begins the genealogy. Now, these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons. You can see it begins here, and and we see, um, first off, there in verse 9, the sons of Reuben, followed down the sons of Simeon, the sons of Levi, the sons of, of Judah, the sons of Issachar, the sons of Zebulun. Then there's a summary statement in verse 15. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padanaram, together with his daughter Dinah, altogether his son and his daughters, his sons and his daughters numbered 33. Verse 16 then says, these are the sons of Gad. 17, these are the sons of Asher. And 18, another summary statement, these are the sons of Zilpah, whom Laban gave to, his, to, to Leah, his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, 16 persons. Verse 19 switches a little bit. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, the, the sons of, ja- of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin. And then we have Joseph's children in Egypt. And verse 21, the sons of Benjamin. And a summary statement in 22. These are the sons of Rachel who were born to Jacob, 14 persons in all. Verse 23, the sons of Dan, then the sons of Naphtali, and a summary statement in verse 25. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. So having mentioned the children of um, each of the four wives, there's a summary then in 26. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were 66 persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob who came into Egypt were 70. Verse 28, he had sent Judah ahead of him to Joseph to show the way before him in Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Then Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to meet Israel, his father, in Goshen. He presented himself to him and fell on his neck, and wept on his neck a good while. Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, and know that you are still alive. So again, our big idea, when we can't see the future, or when we question the past, we can trust that God lovingly leads his children. As I read these, the events of, of, of these chapters, they seem to reach back into the days of, of Jacob. Just reading that genealogy and hearing places like Padan Aram, hearing Leah and, and Rachel and, 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 and the other wives, hearing, um, hearing things like just, just some of these, these names of, of places and, and of, of people, of Dinah, it just reminds us of, of remember that all that we learned about, about Jacob. And we've been in Egypt with Joseph for a while, and now we're, we're going back to Canaan and sort of reuniting with, with Jacob. As I read through the, the Joseph narrative, especially those times when he's in Egypt, it reads almost like a, like a fairy tale, and everything seems to be, you know, gilded. It's, it's, it's sort of glowing. It's, everything's going really well. And when we go back to Canaan, it just sort of gets a little bit grittier and, and earthier again. You've got, You've got Jacob, who is in his 130s, um, and he's living in a tent in the middle of Canaan. 
We're not in the palace with Pharaoh anymore. And, and these two worlds are going to collide. Uh, you know, Jacob, the nomad, is going to collide here with, with Pharaoh, the Egyptian ruler, in a little bit. It's going to be very interesting. Uh, but before that happens, uh, we see that the word comes to Pharaoh there in the second part of chapter 46 that Joseph's brothers have come to Egypt. And, and Pharaoh is thrilled. Pharaoh loves the fact that they're there. I mean, things are going great for Pharaoh in Egypt. And in the midst of this famine, everything is going well. And in his mind, the reason things are going well is because of Joseph. And so any friend of Joseph is a friend of Pharaoh's. And Pharaoh is, is happy. Twice, Pharaoh says, do this. He tells the brothers to load up their donkeys, head home, and come back to Egypt. And he will give them the best of the land. He tells Joseph to send wagons to ease the trip. And then he summarizes everything um, with this statement in verse 20 have no concern for your goods for the best of all the land of egypt is yours it's kind of like saying bring what you need but don't worry about packing uh i mean you know packing is the worst part of moving isn't it (laughs) imagine if you could just leave everything behind you could just bring what was really necessary what was really important and then wherever you were moving to everything was just brand new that you just have all this new stuff some of you are looking at the prospect of moving and your nightmares are filled with boxes that fall on you and, and crush you and things like that and and jacob's family uh pharaoh says don't worry about it just just come with what you you have and we'll give you everything you need um they don't even need to bring extra clothes because joseph gives them uh, not only the wagons but he also gives them changes of clothes benjamin gets a whole new wardrobe um, and he gets money for a shopping spree, as it were. And Jacob gets 20 donkeys that are loaded with grain and bread and all the snacks that he's going to need for the trip up to Egypt. I mean, they're just given everything. This is the easiest move ever. And as they're sent out, it's, there's this one final phrase there in, in verse 24. Joseph sends his brothers away, and as they departed, he says to them, Don't quarrel on the way, <laughs> don't argue. On the way home. Now, what are they going to argue about? I think that Joseph is trying to bless them, not just materially, but also mentally, as it were, and even spiritually. He's trying to encourage them. If they were going to argue about something, they would probably argue about who was responsible for this whole thing, about Joseph being sent to Egypt. Maybe some finger pointing would happen. It's all your fault. No, it's all your fault. And, And Joseph is trying to release them of that. But this word for um, for arguing or quarreling, it's a little bit broader. And it, and it may just have this idea that Joseph doesn't want, to, want them to be concerned about anything. He doesn't want them to be worried about, you know, is someone else going to run up and, and is there going to be another test? Is he trying to trick them again? Is, is something bad going to happen in the midst of this? He, he wants them to be encouraged. He wants them to not worry, to remember God had sent him there. They hadn't sent him here. God was doing it, and God had saved them. And now he's bringing everyone to Egypt. God is in control of this. So they're not supposed to quarrel. They're not supposed to worry. Of course, they do have to go and face their father. They have to tell their dad what happened. The text doesn't tell us that they confessed that. Um, And there's some people that would say they didn't, that they never really did confess it. I think that they did. And I just think it's probably not the focus of the text. Things are, are moving on from the brothers, and it's not as important um, as some other stuff, as, as em- the emphasis on Jacob. But they would have had to confess. You can imagine how hard that would be. Um, even back in chapter 45, I thought it was interesting that Joseph 
um, tells them in verse 13, You must tell my father of all my honor in Egypt and of all that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. So these brothers have to go back and not just say Joseph is still alive, but then also say, and his dreams, remember those things that we didn't like? They came true. And, and the only benefit in all of this is that their confession of sin is accompanied by this miracle that Joseph is still alive. And that news makes Jacob's heart stop, as it were. So we're trying to get Jacob to Egypt. That's what God seems to be doing here. And Joseph is the key. And why does he eventually decide to go? He goes because of Joseph. He sees all the wagons. He sees everything that Joseph had sent. He heard, hears the words of Joseph and his spirit revives and he believes that Joseph is still alive. And he decides to go and to see him before he dies. I think that Jacob had no interest in leaving Canaan. He spent 20 years in Padam Aram away from family. And he just wanted to come back. And now he's 130 years old. And when you're that old, the last thing that you want to do is move. <laughs> the last thing you want to do is move. Last, even further is, is move to another country. I mean, you don't even want to move across the room probably. But to get up and go to another country, this is a big deal. He has to be extremely motivated. And the other thing that would make this less desirable is he's where he's supposed to be. He's in the land of promise. This is where he's supposed to stay. It's where Abraham died. It's where his father Isaac lived his entire life and where he died. It's the land of his birth. It's the land that his family is supposed to possess. It's the land of promise. It's where he wants to die. He has his burial plot all picked out. Abraham bought it years ago from Ephraim the Hittite. Abraham and Sarah are there. Isaac and Rebekah are there. And he wants to be buried there beside Leah. That's where he's going. And Egypt, I mean, of all places to go, we're going to go to Egypt? I mean, Egypt is is never been a really positive place for his family. That's where Abraham ran into trouble, mostly because of his own foolishness, but still it's not the greatest place in the world. And there's this connotation in Scripture that whenever you're going down to Egypt, it's not necessarily the greatest thing. But for all of these reasons to not go, he the, the thought of, of seeing Joseph... The thought of reuniting with him gets Jacob up on his feet. And he, as he moves in faith, we find that he, he lands in Beersheba. You remember Beersheba. Beersheba is the last place that Jacob was before he saw the vision of the heavenly staircase. So he left Beersheba, and somewhere between Beersheba and Padan Aram is where he saw that vision. And here, there's another vision of God speaking to Jacob. It's been a long time since we've had one of these, it feels like. But for Jacob, God encourages him as he takes this huge step to move to Egypt. God brings him a message. And it's a simple message. He calls him by name. And it says in verse 3 that God says to Jacob, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. That's the crux of what God is saying. I am God. Don't be afraid. He hearkens back to the covenant that was made with Abraham and Isaac. And now it has been made to him. And he says he's the God of his father. He tells him not to fear leaving the land and going down to the land of Egypt. And then he gives sort of four reasons why he should not be afraid. He says, don't be afraid to go down to Egypt for, and there's going to be four reasons, for there I will make you into a great nation. I think what God is saying is, don't be afraid because I will keep my promise. I will keep my promise. 
Jacob's leaving the land does not mean that the promise of the land and the many descendants and a being blessed and the promise delivered, that that's all going to become null and void if he leaves the land. The trip to Egypt doesn't thwart God's plan. In fact, if we go back to the promise that Abraham made in Genesis, that God made to Abraham in Genesis 15, this move is part of the plan. Genesis 15:13, God says this to Abraham: "Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years." This is part of the plan. God says, "You need to go to Egypt." Jacob, and you need to take everyone with you because that's part of my plan. You're going to be there. And you're going to be there for 400 years. <laughs> the, the promises and the plans of God do not fail. And so we don't need to be afraid as we face difficult decisions like Jacob did. We trust that God's going to keep his word, even, even if it means he's taking us to a place of pain or, or difficulty. That's, that's part of his plan. We can trust his promises. God says, don't be afraid, Jacob. I will, I will keep my promises to you. I will do everything that I said to you. None of them will fail. The second thing he says is, I will be with you. So I will keep my promises. Second, don't be afraid. I will be with you. It says, I will make you a great nation. And then in verse 4, I myself will go down with you to Egypt. What a great, uh, the way that that's said. God says, you're going to pack up some of your stuff and I'm going with you. I, I will go with you into the land of Egypt. I'm I'm not tied just here. In Acts 7, Stephen is there, and the early church, the, the, the Jewish people, are accusing him of speaking against the holy places and the law and the temple. And they're taking issue with the fact that Stephen is not, and, and the early Christians are not revering the temple as the place of God's presence. And so he responds, and much of his sermon in Acts 7 focuses on the truth that God is with his people and God has blessed his people all throughout history, outside of the land of promise. And he he takes Joseph and Jacob as a key example. It says this in Acts 7. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, this is a great summary of the Joseph narrative, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down to Egypt. And he died, he and our fathers, and they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. He gives all these other examples, and then the conclusion of the of the, the sermon in Acts 7.48, Stephen says, this is sort of the main point, the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands. And the encouragement for Jacob and for us is that God can be with us wherever we go. This building or that building is not his special residence. This nation Or that nation is not where he is exclusively present. And the encouragement to Jacob is that I will be with you wherever you go. It's the encouragement given to Joshua in in Joshua 1.9. Don't be frightened. Don't be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It's the encouragement that Joel read to us from Isaiah 43. It's the encouragement that Jesus gives to all of his children. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. And so when we face fear... 
We're stepping into the future and it's unknown. We can trust that God will keep his promises. But then this great theme of all scripture, he will be with us. He's not going to leave us if we're going into a desert place, into a difficult place, into a hard place. He will be with us. He will walk with us. I will pack my bags with you, Jacob, and I will go down with you to Egypt. Then he gives him this encouragement. I will bring you back. I will bring you back. And I will bring you up again. The move to Egypt is not a permanent one. Even in that promise given to Abraham where he speaks about those 400 years of oppression, God promises there, but I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. The move to Egypt is not a permanent one, Jacob. I will bring you back. Interesting, though, does Jacob come back? He does, but he's not alive. <laughs> he is buried in the land, but he doesn't, he doesn't come back. But it's his children's children's children. His, his generations, they will come back. He's part of the greater plan, but he doesn't see the fulfillment of it all. They would come back. It's a reminder to us that God doesn't act without a plan or a purpose. And as we step into these unknown situations, he, he knows what he is doing. There's a purpose to it. There's a plan. He will bring us back. What us means, it may not mean us. It may mean future generations. Who knows what he's doing, but he's working with purpose. And then I think the fourth thing, don't be afraid because God will keep his promises. He will be with us. He will, I will bring you back. And then finally, I will bless you in death. I will bless you even in death, Jacob. He says there, Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. The son that he thought was dead will be there when Jacob dies. He will close his eyes. He will be there with him. Jacob later makes funeral arrangements, and he's clear he wants to be taken back to the land of Canaan, and his promise is honored, or his desire is honored. But the key here is that Joseph is going to be there. God encourages him. He says, this is, this is not a farce. Joseph is really there, and he will be there with you when you die. Joseph is alive. He will close your eyes. And I, I just, this encouragement that even in your death, Jacob, you will be blessed. It just extends to those who are followers of, of, of God through Christ. We can trust God's promises that he is working for our good even in our death. Even when our eyes close for the last time, it's with blessing. We don't need to be afraid. Even if we are going to take our breath in an unknown land, in a difficult place, in a place that doesn't feel like our home, he will be with us. It's a gift. Not even, not even death can separate us from the love of God. And so Jacob then obeys. We see that in verses 5 through 7. He, he sets out from Beersheba. He takes everything with him. They don't really listen to Pharaoh's instructions. They, they take all their stuff. You know, I mean, it's your stuff. You kind of like it, right? So they take some of their stuff with them. Um, and, and they head out. And Jacob, he doesn't really know all that the future holds. But he has all these promises of God that God is getting. He says, don't be afraid because of these reasons. And so he goes to Egypt. He doesn't go by himself. He takes everyone with him. He says, we're all going to Egypt. Everyone is going. And the genealogy here in verses 8 uh, through 27, it helps us to see that, that he takes everyone with him. You remember Abraham. When Abraham came, it was Abraham and, and Sarai, well, Abram and Sarai at that point, and Lot came with them. But there was this whole contingent of Abraham's family that stayed up in Haran. When Jacob leaves, 
Everyone comes with him. The whole crew leaves and goes to Egypt. Everyone is there. And when they arrive, there's that scene there where, where Jacob meets Joseph. Joseph comes out and weeps on his neck a good while. And Israel says to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face and know that you are still alive. And his trust and his obedience is part of God's plan. And it's the blessing in his life personally there as well. So when we can't see the future... We can trust that God is, is lovingly leading his children. And in Christ, we don't need to be afraid. We hold to these same truths. God will fulfill his promises to us. He has fulfilled his promises to us in Christ. He has sent us a redeemer. He has sent us someone to make the way of salvation for us. He will keep his promise. He has done that. He will be with us. He has sent us his Holy Spirit. That as we look to the future in difficult situations, his Holy Spirit is with us and guiding us, and leading us into truth, and leading us where we need to go. Even if it's to Egypt, even if it's into difficulty, His Holy Spirit will be with us. He will bring us home. I love that thought. There's a home. For us, it's not the land of Canaan. It is the promised land. It is heaven. It is the kingdom of God. And He will bring us back. At some point, we will be with Him for always. always. And even in death, we can trust Him because of the resurrection. So Jesus speaks these promises to those who believe. We can look to the future and trust that he tells us not to be afraid. But sometimes it's not that we're looking to the future and we're scared. It's that we're, we're, we're in the present and we just don't understand what's going on. Or we look at, at where we are and we wonder why we are there. We're kind of looking back and saying, why did God bring me to this place? Why, why did he orchestrate things so that I ended up right here and hindsight makes us question what God is doing I was thinking about an Andy Gullihorn song this week here's some of the lyrics he says I know I'll get an answer that I won't understand if I ask that your intentions be made clear speaking to God here I know your plans are greater and in that greater plan lies the reasons why you brought me here there's some greater plan going on and in the bridge he says these words oh I hope you know what you're doing you brought me here. And sometimes we can feel that way, I think. I, God, I hope you know what you're doing because I, I'm in a weird place right now and I don't understand why I'm here. And I think the Israelites, as they would be reading this, are looking back and look at their past, at the trials in Egypt, at all the wandering in the wilderness, having been away from the land of promise. And I can't help but think that at times they said, you know, this is all Jacob's fault. <laughs> You know, if Jacob would have never left and never come to Egypt, he would have just stayed in the land of Canaan. We would have never been here in the first place. Why didn't they just keep shipping grain back? Why did we have to go to Egypt? I don't understand all of this. And one of the burning questions on their minds as they're on the outskirts of the promised land, ready to go back into the land, is why were we ever in Egypt in the first place? And so as we read about Egypt and we look forward to, to the book of Exodus... We know things are going downhill quickly once, once Joseph and his, and his uh, brothers die. There's a new pharaoh that shows up that doesn't know Joseph, and they're put into slavery. And, and they wonder, why is this happening? They have this distant memory of some land where their forefathers lived. It's kind of 
northeast and everyone that was that had lived there is now dead and they don't know anything about it and there's this sort of promise that they're going to be out of it and they all just think it's all Jacob's fault why are we here I think that happens difficulty in the present clouds the vision that we have of the past and of what God has done we look at our present pain and we say why are we here I don't understand why God brought me to this place we can bemoan the place that we are not realizing that that we're here and the re- we, we're brought to this place because that's how God saved us. That's how God preserved us. That's how God blessed us. So the children of Israel are asking, why did Jacob come here in the first place? And now they read this and they say, well, the famine was really severe. And then they see that, that Joseph was there and, and Jacob desired to see this son that he thought was dead. And they see that when they arrived in Egypt, it wasn't as slaves, was it? They are welcomed by Pharaoh. They are given the best land. They are given everything by Pharaoh. They are, they are blessed by him. And so they start to see, well, maybe that was the right decision. Maybe that was what God was doing. I think for us, there, you know, like Jacob, there are people in our past who have made decisions that affect us in, in the present. And we may wonder in hindsight, why did they do those things? But it could be that if we considered why, that, that they did make the best decision, that they were following what God wanted them to do. And even if we can't understand, we can trust God. And Jacob's coming, though, is not just for himself. God has some things that he's going to do with his people in Egypt. There's purpose, isn't there? He brings them to Egypt to bless them. They're going to be put in the land of Goshen. They're going to be put in this place where they are completely protected. The famine doesn't affect them. And what's going to happen? They're going to explode in number because of where they are in this safe place. The, the, the fact that all these, the, we get this genealogy shows us that everyone went, but it also shows us how many went. And the number is 70. Now there's significance to the number 70. It's an important number, but, but it's also important because it's, it's not a whole lot. What's the promise for Abraham? Your descendants will be more than than the seashore. And after three generations, how many people are there? Still only 70. And so God takes them, as it were, to this to Egypt, which is like some sort of incubation chamber, right? Where everything is going is just perfect. They have everything that they need. There's there's no they're not worried about the famine. They're not just striving to get by as they would if they stayed in Canyon for those five years of famine. And and they just blossom. There's just children everywhere. Now, it's going to lead to them becoming slaves, yes. But here for now, we can say it blesses them. And as we think about what they land into, what else is it going to do? It's going to humble them. He is going, God is going to humble his children. He's going to make them long for their land. He's going to make them plead for him. And they're put into a difficult place so that he can humble them and teach them. Now, we like the idea of God taking us to a place and blessing us, this place where we have everything that we need and we are fruitful and multiply. But what if we're the generation that is humble? (laughs) That may be where we're at, too. God is humbling us. Or maybe that season in life where he is humbling us. So he brings them there to bless them. He brings them there to humble them. And he brings them there to save them. They go to Egypt so that they can leave Egypt. The great picture of salvation of the Old Testament is the Exodus. And God needs to get them to Egypt, increase them, see them oppressed, 
by Pharaoh so that he can deliver them and show them salvation. Now, that's not the storyline that I pick. <laughs> you know, I go to Egypt and we just sort of blossom there. And at some point we decide, hey, we're going to go back up to Canaan and everything's great in Canaan. But this is the way that God is going to work. And in God's plan, Egypt is where it needs to happen. This is where you need to go, Jacob, and you need to take everyone with you. Egypt is where it's going to happen. And God may lead us to Egypt. God may lead you to Egypt, and you might be on the front end of things. When you come in, and everything is awesome, and Pharaoh loves that you are there and blesses you with everything. And that may even just be some years in your life that you're in Egypt, and Egypt is awesome. It's great. You might be in the middle, <laughs> where Egypt is far from awesome, and you are humbled by the trials and the difficulty. It could be your life. I, there were people that were children of Israel that lived that whole that they lived their whole lives in that middle period. They were born into slavery and they died in slavery, and it was difficult. And it may be that we have seasons in our lives, or it may be that life is just God is humbling us. Or it may be that we see the end, that we are delivered, and we rise to the top. Now, Joseph saw it all, didn't he? Joseph was blessed by his father. Joseph went down into slavery. Joseph rose and was saved. And so Joseph's life encompassed it all, and it may be that's true for us. We know that for all of us who are believers that the end is salvation, no matter what happens, even if we die in the middle time but God is working the story of Israel is going to be the opposite of Joseph isn't it Joseph is hated sold into slavery eventually rises to power and brings his family into Egypt to bless them the story of Israel is the children of Israel come into Egypt they are blessed then they sink down into slavery they're in Egypt eventually to escape Egypt and go into the promised land where they are blessed. So it's sort of this great reversal that's, that's happening. And what about us? What's the trajectory of our lives? It's, it's hard to say. Hard to say. Are we, are we Jacob heading in? Are we Israel heading out? Are we the children of Israel in the midst? I don't know. But what we know is this. When we can't see the future, and when we look back and we question the past, we can trust that God is lovingly leading his children, that he knows what he's doing. He's walking with us in all of these things. Now, we're hitting pretty close to kind of the big theme of the end here, which is this whole idea that we talked about last week, that God had sent Joseph there, God's sovereignty over all the events of his life. But I feel like maybe this is just sort of this bigger picture of everything that's going on in the grand scheme of the life of Israel and the life of Joseph and the life of of Jacob. A vision for looking to the, the past and seeing how God has led us, for looking in the present and seeing how God is shaping us, and for looking to the future to see where God is, is taking us possibly. And in the midst of all of that, we can, we can have faith. Part of me, as we look at these final chapters, I'm, I'm scared of, of being a broken record. And yet, what's the key to the Christian life? It's faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. And I feel like what God wants us to see throughout all of this is, listen, you can trust me. You can trust me in whatever circumstance you are in. No matter what is happening, I am worthy of your trust. If you look to the future and you don't know what's going on, trust me. If you're stuck in this period and you just say, I don't understand 
why I am here, we can trust him. And if we are, are delivered, we can trust that God is the one doing it. And if we look to the past and we see his hand clearly or we don't see it at all, we can trust him. God is worthy of our trust. He is working things out. And this grand narrative of all that God is doing from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to the children of Israel to the place where they come back into the promised land all the way to Jesus, to the church, to the consummation of all things, God is doing something. And we can trust him whatever season we are in. When we can't see the future, when we question the past, we can trust that God lovingly leads his children. Let's take a moment of silence and reflect on God's word. I will pray and we will sing. God, thank you that in Christ we can call you Father. And knowing that you are our Father lets us trust you even more. Knowing that you have sent your only Son to die, to make us your children, Lord, helps us to to trust you. If you've given Christ, how will you not also with him freely give us all things? No, we we can trust you when we look at the future and we are so scared. We have to take big steps and we don't know what you are doing. We can trust, Lord, that you are guiding us. And when we are stuck in some place where you are humbling us, we can trust that that's for our good. And when you are delivering us, we trust that you are the one doing it. And everywhere in between, Lord, help us to to know who you are more. And the more that we know you, the more we will trust you. But thank you for these stories that give us the big picture of Joseph's life and the big picture of the life of Israel and help us to to see as we get stuck in valleys or where we're exulting on mountaintops, Lord, that we are a part of this in some way, in our own lives and in your grand plan. Give us eyes to see, Lord. Give us eyes of faith that trust you no matter what. I pray in Christ's name. Amen.